With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hi folks, how are you? I hope this finds you well. Uh, Monday morning here in the land of soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman, and a busy old time we are having of it, which is great. It's my favourite time of the year. You've probably heard me say that before because there's just an abundance of stuff around at the minute, around award season, around festivals. So we have got quite a lot of episodes already in the can, which is very exciting with the likes of Todd Haynes, Mark Ronson, uh, Molly Manning Walker about how to have sex, which you all have to see when it hits cinemas on the 3rd of November. And also, guess who I managed to catch up with once again this week? And actually, it was recorded. Talking heads. Yeah. <laughs> so that's on the way. Slightly giddy about that. But anyway, that's that's the future. This is the now. And our latest guest on Soundtracking is the wonderful Garth Davis, who returns to discuss his psychological sci-fi thriller, Foe. Now, that kind of description, I feel almost kind of, for me, it's the most beautiful, subtle, but devastating uh, film in that it's so considered and the performances are just so fantastic. Uh, It's very play-like and it's based on the book by Ian Reid. It stars Saoirse Ronan, who I love, and Paul Mescal, who I also love. And they are a couple whose life's turned upside down when a stranger arrives at their farm to tell them one of them will be sent to a space station while the other will be left in the company of a robot. Now, that description also, you're like, oh, robots and stuff. It's not what it seems. It's so subtle. Listen, I'm not describing this film very well, but it's because I kind of don't want to describe it because just allow yourself to be in it. Just kind of get to the cinema, it's out now, go and sit in that seat and kind of almost don't read anything into it. And maybe you've already seen it. So allow me to kind of talk at length with Garth about the creation of this wonderful story that he worked on with Ian and how he's chosen to represent that on screen. Four is on General release now, on which no, I'm sure like me, some of you are entering or are already in half-term territory. Uh, Well, let our friends at View help you out with that. This half term, they've got lots of family fun and exclusive screenings to entertain and escape with. What about View's mini mornings, which take place daily during half term with titles like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem each morning at 10am for just £2.49 a ticket. Or other family titles like Trolls Band Together and Paw Patrol, The Mighty Movie are out now. Uh, as well as Taylor Swift's spectacular Eras Tour concert, which is showing at view throughout half term for any Swifties in the family. Super Saver tickets are available for every screening from just $4.99 at selected view venues when booked online, making it a good value family day out for half term. It's a great way for the whole family to immerse themselves in great stories. For all listings, head to myview.com. And so to Garth, who enlisted not one, but three composers to score full in the shape of the F 
fabulous Agnes Obo and then Park Jiha and Oliver Coates. And we'll begin with Park and Oliver's cue, Horses and Far, which we must thank Oliver for providing us with. Yeah, nice to see you too. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you after coming out of this film. Thanks for your time. Of course. God, I felt like I was just watching a masterclass, to be honest, in this film on so many levels. I just thoroughly connected to so much of it. So congratulations. Before we talk music, which is such a great conversation for this film, and I know it's a great conversation for you, what did you connect to originally, do you think, with the book when you read it? When I started reading the book, I was completely taken by the old world feeling of it. Like it was like a Hitchcock, you know, like a stranger arriving in the night. It had all the kind of remnants of who's afraid of Virginia Woolf with this kind of close quarters relationship. But I guess it went in a completely different direction to what I was imagining. And um, mm. it became this kind of study of a marriage under stress decaying over time. And then and then even went a bit further and became a portrait of, of Hen, you know, this woman trying to save her marriage and reconnect with her true self again and find agency in her life. And I found that really moving. So it had all of the ingredients that I love as a filmmaker, but also just as a human being. It really compelled me to make it. And what was that experience like writing the screenplay together? Do you know what I mean? Because it's it's lovely to kind of have that authenticity of the author there with you on that journey to almost have the book present, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the book was so visual and cinematic anyway. So it was such a great jumping off point and then I guess when I met Ian we just got along so well we're kind of different we're different in so many ways but we're all aiming for the same thing so this collaboration just felt really natural and exciting we really respected each other's boundaries creative boundaries so you know I'd push and he would say no that's enough and he would push and I go that's enough so in a strange way it just the, the chemistry was great it just worked there's only a few films, I think, where you watch them and you go, you can't imagine any other people ever <laughs> being those characters. Yeah. And I feel that about Sasha and Paul, you know, because it's that clever thing, I think, that the story does and their performances do, where you think you know them, you think you know the relationship. And then with a glance, with a movement, with a reaction, it kind of throws everything up in the air in terms of where you thought you were following these two. When you were writing it, I don't know, did you have people in mind about these roles or was it only when you started thinking about the casting process that it was working out who was right and where you could find the chemistry? When I'm developing something, I, I do start to really feel the characters. They, they kind of start to come alive for me. And, I, and really, I just start with their 
spirituality, their emotion, the emotionality of them. Um, and I definitely felt Hen. I really could really feel her the most. One thing I was really trying to find was, you know, a character that had this shining light, you know, that would come through. And so that kind of led me on the casting journey. And, you know, Sersha is so incredible. Like, doesn't matter what character she plays, you know, her spirit just shines through it all. And I really wanted that to feel precious in the story. It's such a kind of dystopian world, but to feel the preciousness of that and, and allow what is precious to be a human element, this beautiful character and what she represents. So yeah, Sersha was um, the first person that we cast and something I'd, I was feeling her for a long time. Um, and then I had to go and find her husband. And my casting director mentioned that Paul Mescal was in Sydney at the time and really loved the material, wanted to meet up. And I caught up with him. And he wasn't a superstar at this point. And, you know, he's just such a beautiful human being. What was great for this, for this film is he had the alpha qualities. You know, he could really lean yeah. into the alpha, but he also has that femininity. So he had all of the range and the dimension and the emotionality to play Junior. So that was super exciting. And then having this shared Irish heritage was just like, like hitting the jackpot. It was like the icing on the <laughs> yeah. cake. So that made yeah. it very believable. Yeah, it's almost like a kind of synergy, isn't it? That you, can't, you can't kind of fabricate in a way. Well, especially with rural couples, you know, like our film centers around a rural couple and that's all they've ever known. And often these people just marry their friends at school or the next school across the way. So it's like that's all they've ever known is that geography. <laughs> the production design on it is extraordinary as well because I love the kind of contradictions in the story in terms of, you know, and I know that there are places in the world where those kind of, you know, those roles of men and women are almost kind of slightly old-fashioned in a way. That's yeah. kind of just... It's normal for certain places in the world, but you exactly. know, in terms of when this is set, it's kind of, it's just really clever in the way that we're, you know, there are times where you think you're in, in one place and then you're reminded, actually, no, we're here. And I love the ambiguity of that because it just kind of, I don't know, it just adds a fluidity to the, to the movement and the kind of journey you go on as, you know, when you're watching the film. It just feels more real. We still hold on to the past even now. So <laughs> nothing's going to change in the next 20, 30 years in that regard. But it yeah. also is very symbolic of, you know, what Junior's holding on to and, um, and I guess what Hen is, is trapped by, the patriarchal cycles of his family generation holding on to the dream of a farm, but the farm's dying, like it's not even farmed anymore. And at what point do you break that responsibility you think you have to your family before you and, and move on? And um, mm. You know, and, and it relates to Australian farmers as well. There's a lot of Australians who are born into family uh, farming families and they have that responsibility to keep, keep the family generation farming alive. And, um, but global warming is, is kind of putting a fork in the road and um, people got to decide what to do. And it's a greater metaphor for the relationship, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Before we talk about your composers and creators musically on the film, am I right in thinking that you sat down with Ian and he kind of shared a playlist or music that he was listening to when he wrote the book. I went to Canada. I, I really felt it was important that I visited the areas that inspired his novel. Um, so we got in the car and went driving around some farms in Ontario, met farmers and things like that. And on that journey, we took that opportunity to play music. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess music we've been collecting that connected with the story. So we definitely played music in the car and very quickly would start to decipher and and seek out things that we were liking and stuff that yeah. felt right yeah was that the starting point then with regards to when you then thinking about how the film would sound musically because you've got well there's a couple of things let's talk about Agnes Obel first of all because 
Aventine, her album from like 10 years ago, is still one of my favourites. Weirdly enough, she sang a duet with my husband, which is still one of my favourite things ever. Ah. Um, yeah, a Christmas song. Oh, my God. Their, their voices together is just something quite oh, that's nice. out of this world. But what was it about her and kind of what were the conversations that you had with her? Because I love when I heard when I, I you know, I, I try and go into films with as little kind of influence yeah. or noise as I can so that I can experience it all. And there was so much about the music in the film and, you know, Hen's particular relationship with music. And then when I came out and sort of started reading and looking, it was like, oh, my God, of course. She's the perfect kind of almost sort of musical muse almost in a way with Hen and, and Agnes. It's perfect. Do you mind talking a little bit about Agnes, first of all, and, and that journey? That was the most important thing to get going on straight away because I wanted Saoirse to have as much opportunity to learn the piano. So I, I was really keen to get that going. So we definitely started listening to contemporary musicians who were playing piano and eventually we kind of were drawn to Agnes Obel's music. And what what I loved about it, I mean, first, it's just intuitive. You just feel hen in it, I guess. Um, there was something in the music that um, seemed to have a parallel. Um, it had a simplicity to it too. And it, sometimes piano and films can feel too virtuosic or too self-conscious. And we didn't want it to be perfect, but we wanted it to feel emotional and poetic, I guess. So Agnes's music just seemed to feel right. And then what we did is we sent her the script. Um, she'd never composed anything before for film. And we sent her the script. And um, I remember getting on the Zoom with her and she was very shy, very, yeah. very shy. And she just said, I, I know who this woman is. I know who this woman is. I relate to her so much. And she said, I'm scared. You know, I said, don't be scared. I said, I'm coming to you because of you. Like, <laughs> it's okay. Like, it's just, it's just me. It's, 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 it's no big scary monster. It's just me. And, you know, we, we had a big briefing session, but I just really encouraged her to just channel Hen. And just channel her in each of the stages of Hen's journey. And not to just do one specific piece, just to do, like, do a five-minute piece if you want to. Just experiment. So she came back uh, with this music. And I, I think I need tweaked one thing. It was like every piece. Everything was there. And I was obviously hunting for um, her anthem. What's the song that she plays when she, you know, in that defining moment at the end. And... Um, mm. And uh, yeah, that's that mimosa track that is played, which is really, really beautiful. with her in terms of how much you needed yes or was it okay okay yeah it's quite good when you know i guess 
I definitely knew where we we're going to see it on screen, where it was in the script. But I also had an open mind that maybe we'll use it as score as well. So I got her to overcompose, I guess. And I was more interested, not so much about get this specific piece, get this specific piece, just just explore Hen's voice and emotions in this section, explore it in this section. And then we, some of those kind of became more specific and became very obvious what would sit where. And Did Sasha play the piano? No. She, she had played a little bit for film. So we got her going uh, as quickly as possible. And then I also found a double and had to nice. train and had to train the double as well. So I, I got all the elements going so that I really just wanted to film it so it really yeah. looked like she was playing. What a lovely gift to give your collaborators, the, the gift of learning the piano. It's like the perfect thing ever. It's like, yeah. go learn the piano. What an amazing thing to have to do. It was for nice. Job. You would always hear it in the hotel room down the path, you know. Great. There's hitting, the, hitting the keys. <laughs> She's on the ivories again. Yeah, yeah. she is. <laughs> <laughs> and then with regards to to bringing in um Oliver and and Park with you know and working on that yeah and, and marrying those two different sides to it and then also the you know the needle drops as well there's I mean there's just so much in yes. this film it's beautiful <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah oh look I don't know I seem to have a habit of just putting people together in in my Lovely. films um, I don't know why it's just just something I do I guess there were two things I was trying to find that I couldn't find in one person. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I guess one of the things that I was trying to find was this, uh, what does the earth sound like? You know, what's, what's, what's the sound for the earth? I thought a lot about whales, like whales under the ocean and how they yearn for each other and you feel the space and the depth. And I, I gravitated towards indigenous music, something that felt like a ritual, timeless, very simple but primal. I was listening to John Hassel, things that felt mm-hmm. to do with breath. So I was kind of circling in that area and then my music um, supervisor was sending me some suggestions and I came across Park Jiha and I was like, it was shocking. I was just like, wow. It was just mm. the most startling music. It felt timeless. It, it kind of had all those connections to those things that I was like circling around. But there was just a, I don't know, a brightness to it, a freshness to it, but had meaning in it and poetry. So yeah, so that that was really exciting. And then um, the other composer that was on the list was was Oliver Coates, who I know had done After Sun and had worked on a, a friend of mine film as well, A Stranger. And uh, I just thought he has such virtuosic knowledge of of strings, and um, you probably know him quite well, strings and all of those things. So I just thought bringing it together would be an exciting idea. So I had to kind of negotiate to them that this is the way I'd like to work. 
what do you think? Yeah. And um, they can post separately for a while. Um, I get, I kind of split up the the themes and then I just try to really encourage them to come together. That's great. It's like is that we did with Volker and and, um, yes. and Dustin and Lion as well. Yes, exactly. I mean, look at I mean how amazing for Volker as well last year with with. <laughs> Oh my god! I know, I know. It's, always, it's so great, but that's lovely because sometimes you need an external kind of, you know, to kind of to guide things to, together, and it's amazing to have someone who can hear or see something you can't see yourself, and then that kind of synergy of of those two things. I mean, that the work he did for Charlotte with After Sun Oliver, in particular, because there was so much, there was a, a heaviness of the kind of existing music in that, and how he was able to cut through that. Yeah. And it really kind of resonate and be incredibly powerful. I thought it was such a great job as well. This works so special together, like you say, of trying to create, you know, particularly when you think of the kind of, like you say, the earth, but also this idea of when it's set and, and all, the, all these yes. different kind of elements that feed into yep. what it can't be, I guess. It, it kind of has an, it has a, almost has a nostalgic feel in general a 70s feel in some ways you you feel time in the music as well the other thing that was really cool was that really encouraged both of them to just experiment with how they're feeling about the story so oliver coates decided to just write he, he did a whole series of pieces called um juniors in a mind and it was really he was exploring consciousness and um he wanted to go down that rabbit hole and and that was just so beautiful and we ended up using that theme quite a few times in in, in the film So Park Jiha did some beautiful heartfelt melodies, very haunting, reminded me of like uh, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, like that early Ruchi Sakamoto oh, stuff. Wow, but, like it had that kind of piercing simplicity. So yeah, just when you let them loose and just encourage <laughs> them to experiment, this, this beautiful stuff would come back. When I watched the film, I try and write down a few things to kind of, you know, to, to remind me. But I was, I, I was so in the film, I hardly wrote anything down because I was just kind of didn't want to take my eyes off it as well. It was so beautiful. But there was one one cue that I wrote down was when they leave the diner. I guess something that really, really 
resonated with me in terms of the score sort of thing as well. And I guess you've got to be careful. Well, I know I've got to be careful when talking to you in terms of not revealing too much about the film because yes. if people haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil anything. I'm not that person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, there there are kind of almost layers that you need to have in place. That's right. As the film's going on in terms of that it's not revealing anything. It's also not, it's such a delicate. It is. A delicate kind it of is. dance. But the one thing you can't take away is what what is actually really happening, even though yeah, that may be absolute, concealed from the audience. Yeah. So, so every decision comes from what's really happening and the stakes are real for all of the characters in different ways. So the yeah. music, the music's dishonouring the truth. So it, it's producing this music that feels fresh and unusual, but somehow it feels real and connected. It's going to get a release, this, this soundtrack, because I it is. can't wait to have that. Yes! Can't wait to get my vinyl and get it on. And it just is vinyl. Like, There'll be a vinyl coming. Oh, oh there's myself in it. <laughs> <laughs> what about the needle drops, though? Because, you know, there's, there's, there's a fair few in there, you know, in terms of we got Scare Davis. But also they're diegetic as well. You know, there's kind of that, that idea that they're, they're part of their memories. They're part of their life some of them anyway, you know, it's that kind of thing. So talk to me a little bit about those choices. and Yeah, a lot of those old tracks I started to realise are all about people that were lonely or um, (laughs) yearning or um, wish they could be somewhere else. It's almost about what you don't have, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And um, I don't know, there was something about that that felt, it kind of echoed all the women before Hen that had lived in the generations before her. So I felt like the house became like a house of ghosts, a house of women kind of trapped by the patriarchal cycle of, of, of this family. And um, so there was something haunting about it. And everything's dying and, and kind of becoming more distant rather than being alive and full of life. So, yeah, leaning into the nostalgia, I thought, was um, just, just seemed to work for the film. It just seemed to bring all the themes up. Was that something that you and Ian talked about, you know, when you were talking about music way back at the start when you were writing in terms of listening to music and stuff? Were there things that came up in those moments that were written into script or you know that that saw their way through yeah I I think it was something that when we're trying to flesh out Hen and and how she expressed herself or or where we felt her trapped you know there was all those different devices that we're exploring and she is a lover of music Um, obviously the piano was very clear what that meant but we just thought it could be an interesting texture to bring into the story Um, so we did write we did write a couple of tracks into the into the script itself which can be dangerous sometimes yeah, <laughs> we can change it. We're the writers. We can just scribble it out. <laughs> Delete. Just if you get emotionally attached to something and then you try and get the clearance for it and either, oh, I don't no, know, they want lesson. $8 million for it or whatever. It's kind oh, of like, yeah. oh. No, no, I've been down that path before. <laughs> yeah. What are the 
many things that I came out the film feeling and like I wanted to do that had a uh, that's encouraged me to do is to I don't do enough is have music on in the house and dance about and <laughs> do you know what I mean it's like yeah. it's it's kind of that thing also just like the want to have nothing to do mm. of stillness of yes yeah just lack of things it's like we very rarely are able to find ourselves in those situations where you know it's just you and your partner in your house and there's kind of nothing really to do don't need to be anywhere really apart from you know go and do go and do your job and come back sort of thing simplicity of that simplistic nature of that kind of weirdly in a way the characters are kind of well hen's definitely sort of fighting against that in a way internally uh, but there's but there was a real longing for me in terms of going oh if only yeah <laughs> well i'm glad it affected you in that way you got to, you know what happens in relationships is is you you start to take each other for granted or you can do and and people start to lose their identity through through long-term relationships so i guess we can all relate to that in some way shape or form and but i think when you you know what hen's asking us to do is just to just to stop and take notice and and to realize that life is precious time is precious and uh, this is your life right now so please live it to the fullest and and that's what she's yearning for in the story and um yeah we can't take each other for granted because you can lose it yeah and dance around like no one's watching with a <laughs> like a, with a with a bottle in one hand yeah, yeah. i just love those moments they're just there's something beautifully theatrical as well you know in terms of like watching a beautiful play as well in the way that it's it's got such a beautiful simplicity to it, which, I, you know, I know was not a simple thing to film in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's just, um, yeah, it's so immersive. I feel like you're kind of really there with those, with the elements, um, with the fabrics of those curtains and all that kind of stuff. It's such essential um, experience as well. And I, I, am I right in thinking that you, had, you were on location, you kind of built the house, but then you also had a kind of soundstage for things as well? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So we built the whole house on location. So it, wow. was, it was completely immersive. That was really fun. Yeah. So that was great. So all the insects were recorded there and it was, it was very alive. The weather would change naturally and we would embrace that. It was pretty amazing. And then we built half of it on stage uh, for some of the night work. Well, I almost feel like that's part of the score in a way as well as the sound yes. of that landscape. <laughs> yeah. That was really great. Uh, the sound design, I think, is really special. And um, we did record a lot of insects and then... Our sound designer created new insect sounds that don't exist, so kind of hybrid insects. So there's, love it. So yeah, and and they kind of crawl in. The, the, there's definitely a, a theme of insects that, that kind of play um, through the story, and it kind of brings to life this idea of consciousness and that kind of psychedelic feverishness that kind of starts to play out in the story. So the insect. That's all I'm going to say. Was that a real insect or a futuristic insect? We designed that. Future. Wow. Future, future. That's fun. Yeah, it is fun. <laughs> like predicting the future of nature. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're getting new species all the time now. Oh, some man, some dying so off, great. new ones coming up. <laughs> I really want to watch it again now just to kind of... It's that thing though as well because I feel like I was reading, you know, when um, your producer read the book for the first time and then she went back to read it again and it was almost kind of like a different experience in a way in terms of the layers that it unfolds. And I really feel like I'm going to get that when I watch the film, you know, again, you know, even though you know the story, there's still things that unfold and reveal themselves to you the more you kind of get into it and the layers that it can offer. You absolutely can watch it twice and there'll be two <laughs> two completely different experiences. They really will be. And um, both are super enjoyable in different ways. 
I did a Q and A the other night with a with a director, and he was, and it was, I was so blown away by the attention to detail on the layers that are there that as of someone watching the film for the first time you wouldn't really know were there unless you listened to him talk about it really yep. um or you kind of watched it like kind of you know sort of almost meticulously yep. on a second or third viewing but how much how important it was to him and his team the authenticity of the story and the characters that it's there is that something that's really important to you oh absolutely yeah, yeah, that all had to be there, absolutely. And it was really just the trick was in the script writing, in the way we staged the scenes and the way we performed it, is that we were presenting that truth in a way that was hidden, I guess, um, so that mm. the first time viewing, it was a mystery around this relationship and you were trying to kind of understand and ground yourself. And then when you get the reveal, you go back and get all the answers to those questions you have and it's, it's you know, so that you're kind of overwhelmed. There's a lot to kind of take on. Um, in a second mm. viewing, you have all of that. So then you have this different experience. You have a like a deep emotional experience because you understand what that character's been holding for all this time. Um, did you play music on set? Uh, I always play music on set. Not all the time on this one. I, I, yeah. I, I did. I did. Did do a little bit. Yes. <laughs> what, what kind of what kind of vibe were we, were we were we were we going for? Oh, gosh, I can't remember now. I guess um, usually I just play something that's a bit uplifting, just to just to kind of reset the energy. And uh, bring a bit of humanity back, and then we go back into the into the intense stuff again. Do you ever allow anyone else to pick the music, or is it always your oh, choice? No, 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 that wouldn't be good. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely wouldn't be good. <laughs> no, I'm in charge of that one. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I um, I I, th- I I can't wait to see it again. Just also just from hearing what you were saying there, sort of things. Well, um, and I can't wait to get the vinyl to play it at home on my record player and dance around with a glass of wine <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yep. Um, it's such a great film. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. I was so excited to see you back and to get the chance to talk to you again. Gosh, Thank you so much. To chat to Thank you. you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Bye. See Bye. you soon, I hope. Take Bye. care. Bye. Bye.
from the score to full. That's Pink Ladies by Park Jiha, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtrack with the wonderful Garth Davis. My huge thanks to Garth for joining us. It was so great to catch up with him again. The last time we spoke was quite a few years ago. Uh, for Mary Magdalene we also talked about Lion as well Faux is on general release now head to myview.com for screenings near you now you can hear my previous conversation with Garth if you head to edithbowman.com along with every other single episode of the podcast follow us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter we are at Soundtracking UK and please subscribe to our YouTube channel where there is loads of great content in fact we are about to put up some YouTube exclusive content uh, first up will be Dan um, and Kevin who are director and producer for the second series of Loki they go into great detail about character about story about music about production so head to our YouTube channel for YouTube exclusive with Dan and Kevin talking about Loki series 2 next week then well we are thinking we may well have uh, two episodes coming your way because as I said at the start I did manage to catch up with Talking Heads to talk Stop Making Sense and I am desperate to share that conversation with you and then we also managed to catch up with Eddie Hamilton and Cecile Tournesac who you might remember we spoke to at length about Mission Impossible they are editor and music producer and I said to them at the time that I would love to talk to them about Top Gun Maverick which we did so we'll have a Talking Heads episode and a Top Gun episode for you next week I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then <laughs>